Welcome to Your Path to Nonprofit Leadership, the weekly podcast that features the very best in career development in the nonprofit sector. I'm your host, Patton McDowell, and happy to give you actionable ideas that can elevate your current or perhaps your future nonprofit organization. Thanks for listening. If you are a nonprofit leader or you hope to be one, you're in the right place. I'm glad to bring you these weekly conversations with nonprofit leaders who are really on the cutting edge of our sector. And if you would do me a favor, share this episode with just one other person so we can continue to build a global community focused on nonprofit leadership. I had a fantastic conversation in this episode with Righteous Kit, who is a great reminder that outstanding nonprofit leadership doesn't require decades of experience to achieve. This young man started his first 501c3 at the age of 15 and is now serving on another nonprofit's board of directors at the ripe old age of 20. Not only does he have great insight about leadership in our sector, he has a real bias for action because he knows that there are other talented, prospective nonprofit leaders in our communities, and frankly, we're not engaging them as a sector. Fortunately, the real value of this discussion with Righteous is that he has great ideas that will help you identify and recruit some of the talented young professionals that are in your community right now, and your nonprofit will be stronger as a result. Now, Righteous lifts up a number of outstanding organizations during our conversation, so make sure you check out the show notes. This is episode number 109. Just go to the podcast or the news page at patmcdowell.com, and you'll find links to those organizations and other resources we discuss, as well as more information on Righteous and, of course, the great work he's doing at Generation Nation and at the We Are More Foundation. By the way, Righteous is a full-time college student, (laughs) so he definitely makes me want to get up a little bit earlier tomorrow morning and start my day. Uh, Very impressive. You will find a lot of takeaways for your organization as a result of this conversation. Speaking of resources, while you're on our website, make sure you connect with us. We're on all of the traditional social media channels, and get on our email list so you can get first glimpses of episodes like this of the podcast and maybe more information on ways we can help you like building a strategic plan re-engaging your board of directors or maybe we can help you determine the next step on your leadership journey in the nonprofit sector through coaching training or one of our unique mastermind leadership programs without further ado please enjoy my conversation with righteous kit Righteous, thank you for joining me on the path. Uh, thank you. Thank you for allowing me to uh, speak with you today. I'm excited to have this conversation, Righteous. You've accomplished an incredible amount of nonprofit leadership as a millennial. Um, and not only do you have insight from your experiences, but I think you're going to add a real value for our listeners because they all need and want to get people like you involved in their organization. So I'm hopeful you'll share some of the insight uh, from these organizations with which you've worked. What was appealing about that and how did it bring you into the roles that you have continued to play as a nonprofit leader? Um, Speaking of all that you've accomplished, and we'll talk about many of the organizations that you've supported, um, what are you proud of, Righteous? You've done some great things. Is there anything that kind of stands out to you in that regard? 
I think that at this point, um, I'm proud that at my age, I'm 20 years old, that with almost, I guess, six years experience in the field of nonprofit work, right? Um, I'm just really excited and happy that at this point in my life, I am doing what I want to do, and which is help. And right. I think that's what I'm most proud of is that I'm able to just continue doing what I feel is my dream and my passion, which is just to help others and, and put others in positions where they can succeed. Well, we're going to talk about because you have indeed been inspired and have inspired others through multiple organizations at a really early age. Uh, before we dive into those, some of those organizations, I guess, Righteous, you continue to lead nonprofits as a full-time college student. How do you stay organized with everything you've got going on? <laughs> um, short answer is I don't, but uh, <laughs> uh, it, it, it can definitely be a struggle here and there, especially trying to organize and keep everything together. I think for me, um, the best thing that I've learned to do is to write everything down, not type it, not, not put it in a note section because it gets lost. Write everything down and be intentional about where you keep everything up to date. Um, I think at this point in my life, trying to balance classes, trying to balance other work that I want to do, as well as um, trying to balance being a nonprofit, being within the nonprofit space, I think that that is the one thing that I've learned is that you have got to write things down or else it will just go away. Um, Could not agree more. And I've also um, done this thing where I've just kind of left a day in my week where there is nothing aside from I am just doing the work that I want to do on those days. Now, for me, that's Wednesdays. I've worked my schedule so that no matter where I'm doing, what I'm doing on Wednesdays, I am free to do interviews as we're doing this today on a right, Wednesday. Right. <laughs> um, and as well as other things that I'm trying to get done. So it, I, I try to leave a day of the week where I can just focus on me and not have to work with other people. I love that. And, and let me ask you something. When you say write everything down, you mean literally handwritten for all the devices we all have. Oh, absolutely. Your intention about handwriting, literally um, getting it down, you, right? You saw, I don't know if you saw the earlier, but I, I have about five journals uh, that, I, that I keep or I try to keep organized. I'm going to put try in there just to emphasize <laughs> that I am still learning, right. um, that I have just kind of separated for different aspects of my life and how I want to keep things organized. So it is imperative for me, it's important for me at least to write everything down <laughs> to Love actually that. accomplish what I'm trying to set to do. Um, otherwise I will just get confused, lost and miss a meeting. And that's never something that I want to do. So that, that is how I've been able to organize everything for myself. Oh, I love that. And uh, uh, participants in our mastermind program are smiling right now, right? Just because <laughs> I'm a big fan of the journaling exercise. I think there literally is science behind uh, the handwritten notes and, and your ability to capture information and retain it. Um, so good for you for juggling five journals <laughs> and everything else related to that. And by the way, love your calendar blocking technique. I think too many of us in the nonprofit world, our calendar kind of rules us. And it sounds like you've been very intentional and I hope you'll be able to continue that because you won't get the, what I would call the deep work done if you don't put something on the calendar to allow you to do that. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. So great productivity lessons to kick off our conversation. But now I want to move into, you know, some of the nonprofit leadership you've already demonstrated. Um, Let's start with bags for bagless. 
tell our listeners what that is and why you started it? Uh, yes, sir. So Bags for Bagless was a nonprofit that I started in, I think, my sophomore year of high school. Um, and the goal of it was to just bring daily toiletries to the homeless in the Charlotte community. And that was essentially all I had really planned out for. And over the three years of its lifespan as a nonprofit, I was able to help over a thousand people um, just giving out daily toiletries and necessities to the homeless downtown. And wow. the idea was that I put the daily toiletries in a book bag so that not only did they have, you know, the, the things that they needed, but a bag to carry it in because, you know, I realized um, after an experience with my aunt as we were going downtown to just hand out little knickknacks of things that she had set up that a lot of people don't have items to carry in. And, and when you see somebody who does not have a home, um, what they're carrying on their back is usually all that they have. Right. So giving them a book bag to carry those items I felt was necessary. And that was the goal of Bags to Bagless at the time. What, what something inspired you, obviously, and I guess the homeless issues in so many communities affect us. As a young person, you saw it and just felt like I need to do something about this? It was, you know, as a, and I just mentioned it, it was my aunt. So she gave me the opportunity. She really just kind of took me under her wing. We went downtown to a place called um, The Wall on a Saturday. And it's a, it's a place where a lot of homeless um, people in our area just kind of collect and sit on Saturdays and you have different groups that come out and just support them in whatever way they can, whether it be mental health things or just giving them food. And my aunt gave me her book bag and we kind of loaded them up with these items that were donated by a church. And we just walked down the street and started handing out items. And before we even made it onto that pathway, uh, a lady walked up to us and asked if she could have the bags that we were carrying the items in. Right. Um, and that that right then kind of just sparked a moment in me in which I realized, oh, wait, I, I can do something here. And um, Bags of Bagless started within later that year. Um, I kind of pitched the idea to my mom just randomly just because I I had drawn up a logo and I wrote down a a mission statement for the um, nonprofit, which I really didn't know it was called a mission statement at the time. (laughs) I was, I was 15. I was just kind of writing ideas and I pitched it to my mom and she at the time was just like, yeah, I like that idea, Buddha. Just keep moving. See me, tell me what you, tell me how it goes. And then without my knowing um, on that Christmas, she bought me a set of a hundred blue bags, wow, a whole bunch of necessities and things that I, and gave me enough money to just go to a dollar store and just buy the necessities that I wanted. And my Christmas gift that year was starting my nonprofit. And that was what, that was how it started. That's and very that was, impressive. Just kind of kept going from there. Well, kudos to your mom and to you as many of us indulge in Christmas presents that are much more self-absorbed, <laughs> you turn the Christmas holiday into doing something for somebody else. And, and when did it hit soon thereafter that, hey, or it, I guess, did people find out about it and say, hey, Righteous, how can we help? Or did you begin to circulate amongst friends and associates and get them involved? It, it Within the first month, it was mainly just money that I had saved over the year that I, I planned on using to actually start my nonprofit and buy all the bags and necessities. And, you know, the first one was kind of kicked off by my mom. She saw the money that I had saved up and just kind of did it for herself. And that was my gift. And then within that first month, 
I just kind of used the money that I had saved up to purchase the rest of necessities. And it was then that I realized, oh, wait, this is expensive. Right. I don't know if I can continue doing this on my own. <laughs> By yourself. Right. <laughs> so I, uh, at the time I established it as a 501 c 3 and by uh, about February or March, um, people started reaching out to me, um, just different schools and church groups and people who had already kind of followed some of the work that I had done previously. And they were just wanted to support in whichever way they could. And that was kind of very, I don't know, I just, it was very heartwarming to see how many people just kind of reached out with support immediately. Um, and different church groups started holding donation services where people would actually just walk up and put donations in a book, put donations in a box. And I came and over 2000 items were donated, um, different schools with the help of uh, Miss Jessica Power 98. Um, she, they helped set up a, a drive where students competed, um, how many donations they could give and the winner got a pizza party, um, on us. And that was just an, a, a wonderful thing. And they raised thousands of items very quickly. Um, and it was soon that I realized not only are these things expensive, I also need a place to store them. <laughs> uh, your, your, your bedroom and garage weren't quite enough, it, I guess. It started right? with my bedroom, moved to my garage. And then it was a, a period of time where my dad, who's a photographer, uh, has his own studio. So I took up a third of his studio space <laughs> with my items. And it got to a point where my parents are just like righteous you got to just move them out. So on double time, I just started moving out as many items as I possibly could, just handing out as many as I could um, with the help of friends and various groups and fraternities and sororities who wanted to help out and serve. We just started serving as many people as we could. And um, that was really just how we just kind of kept moving. And yes, items were a lot and they take up a lot of space. Well, it's such a good story and and impressive on many levels. Because let's face it, myself as a 15 year old, many 15 year olds that are privileged not to deal with homelessness don't have any idea. And I wonder, did what did you learn? Because you were seeing homelessness, you know, right in the face. And I, I'm curious what you know you picked up as a 15 year old. Um, I I think that it really just came down to the fact that I felt that I needed to help. I, I realized that I even I, I live in a place of, of, of a lot of privilege. Right. Um, my family, we're, we're, we're doing good. And, and my mom, even when it was just me and her for the first 10 years of my life, um, it was just me and my mom because my biological father was elsewhere. Right. Um, and it was just me and her. And even then she worked tirelessly to make sure that I was in the right place, that I was doing the right things, that I had everything that I could possibly ask for. And when she got engaged and we moved up to Charlotte, um, things just got even better. And I realized that I have a duty, that I have a responsibility that I really enjoy helping. Um, and that means in any way that I can. So I think that just seeing you know, these people that were asking for items and nobody was really supporting them that if I could do that, there was no reason for me not to. Um, it was it was a responsibility that I found in myself to do. Yeah, it's fantastic. Did, did you see other organizations, of course, you know, that are trying to help the homelessness situation? I wonder, as a budding nonprofit leader at that point, what was your experience in that kind of ecosystem of nonprofit support for the homeless sector? Well, at the time, I realized that nobody was nobody in the Charlotte area 
um, to be more specific, was doing quite what I was was doing quite what I was trying to do. Right. I, right. I always made it a, a thing of mine, which is more important to support other organizations than to start your own. Yeah, good um, point. It, it 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 we have a there's a lot of problems where a lot of people have very similar ideas. And sometimes it's more important to just lend it to others and see how you can support them so that you're not always fighting these different organizations for funding. It's more effective to just, if your goal is to actually help, which my goal is to help, then it's more effective to just lend yourself into these other organizations who can accomplish that goal. And sometimes it's just more important. So I realized that, and I think that that um, really just allowed me to just keep pushing forward. And there are plenty of organizations that allowed me, like the Salvation Army, they allowed me to just come in and do donations and they allowed me to set up outside of um, their building so that I could just help the homeless who were out there as well, as well as giving them different items. That's a great example. Good uh, of collaboration and partnership and nice to hear that Salvation Army and others, I'm sure, appreciated that it's going to take a, a real community behind an issue like this, isn't it? To, to, to really move the needle. And one final question on this point, you know, I think it's easy for an older adult such as myself to dismiss the high school student, you know, mm-hmm. that this age is just kind of consumed with their device and, and consumed with everything that high school students are. But would you suggest there are a lot more high school students like you that do want to get involved or how would yes. you describe your, you know, your group, so to speak? Absolutely. Um, I think I, I technically I'm part of the Generation Z. Um, <laughs> I, I am right right on the top of it, just, just on the boundary between being a millennial. And I think that it, it is imperative. Like, there are definitely some limiting factors when working with high school students. That is the truth. Right, it, it right. is just how it is. But these are people who are dedicated and have time and want to help. And there are plenty of people who work just like me and would love the opportunity to work with a nonprofit and may not have the funds or the time to make their own, but would love to support you in any way that you can. And not just in a volunteer role um, as an intern, that they would love these opportunities. And I think that it's definitely important that because many of the opportunities that I was given, uh, the internships that I were given were paid and were also throughout my high school career. Um, and there was an opportunity for me to actually learn. And there are so many. And you, there is a stigma of a lot of us doing a lot of social activism, which right. is right. apparent. And there are people who focus in that. But you have to understand that it's not a monolith. And there are a lot of people who do on-ground work who are ready to put the work in to accomplish the goals and 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 make a change. And that in, in itself is a thing that a lot of people in our generation, I think, are trying to do. And I think that with some mentorship that comes with people who have experience in the field, you could actually craft a lot of great leaders. But you have to understand that it's going to take time. Could not agree more. I hope our listeners hear that loud and clear that we should be as nonprofit leaders investing in uh, whether it is millennial, Gen Z, any of the younger generations, (laughs) because there's incredible talent such as yourself. And I worry that sometimes we as nonprofit leaders kind of miss out because the other advantage, of course, is you're such a good example. If we get you involved as a relative young person, you're staying involved, right? Mm -hmm. You went off to college and we'll talk about that in a minute about you continue to get involved in nonprofit work. But before you left high school, you were involved with an organization called Generation Nation, 
right? Just tell us what that is and how that kind of affected your trajectory as a leader. Absolutely. So Generation Nation is an organization um, that I am currently a chair for, uh, a board member for, sorry. Right. And right. The, the goal is to help um, give some, give students within the K-12 area a bit more experience within the, the field of policy um, and actually just educating students on political work and policy and how uh, how government works and just giving them the civic literacy um, that our education system doesn't actually um, give students. I love that. And of course, um, I, I'm a real fan of Generation Nation. It was kids voting, I think, at one time. And, mm-hmm. you know, just to enlighten the, the youngest generation about their civic duties, especially voting. Mm-hmm. Um, but for you, right, it was more, it was, I guess, an understanding of, of like the local government. And didn't you get kind of engaged in city and county government and maybe learn the good and the bad from yes. that uh, viewpoint? Yes, sir. So the Youth Council, which is a part of Generation Nation, is a collaboration between um, all three branches of the city government. When I say branches, I kind of mean the the main kind of forces, which is county, um, your school board, and the city government. And it's an opportunity for students to give their voice on issues that directly affect them. And you're working directly with these city leaders, the mayor, we work with, you you work with countless um, individuals, a lot of people who have an actual pull in the city and are making laws and policies that will impact students. And thankfully, I was given the opportunity. Uh, I think I joined at the end of my freshman year. I served as the vice president and then the president of the organization by the time I was graduating. And it's just a wonderful opportunity for students to be involved. And it lent itself to a lot of the policy work that I do currently. And it allowed me to meet a lot of the people who I work with now. Um, and mentors like Braxton, uh, Councilman Braxton Winston, um, people who have lent themselves into me and have allowed me to continue to grow. I love that. And again, whether or not nonprofits are involved in kind of governmental affairs, they need to understand the governments in which their organization operates, even if it's a private nonprofit. And mm-hmm. anything surprise you as you kind of looked at the government sector as a young person through Generation Nation, surprise or even frustrate you? As you Um, kind of saw that operation in motion. How unexplicably slow everything moves in government. (laughs) It 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 as a as a Gen Z, as as a student, as a person who was who was 15, 17 at the time and now 20, it moves very, very slow. Um, And that's not something I'm used to, and it's not something I quite like. And I also don't think it's necessary. Um, I think that a lot of the times we kind of get slowed down in bureaucracy and a lot of people with differing opinions, but in actuality, the goal is just to help. And I think that um, with nonprofit work, at least when you're able to effectively collaborate with government, it using those, using nonprofits as a, as a, um, as a, as a thing that as a, as a weapon to actually commit good um, and using these nonprofits effectively, those who are actually out to accomplish um, their mission, is going to make things a lot faster. And I've, I've learned that collaboration between nonprofit um, sectors and government is very effective, as well as um, the inter- intersections between um, nonprofits and actual businesses. Getting those jobs done makes things a lot easier and a lot faster. Um, I've, I've learned that without those collaborations, government work is and will always move very 
very slow. <laughs> I have no doubt that you will be an agent of acceleration, however, in your leadership. And your point is well made. Uh, I think it does start with that kind of networking that you achieved at, uh, as a high school student that frankly continues to pay off because you understand the intricacies of the government situation. You've maintained contacts. And to me, that's just smart for any nonprofit leader. Even if government frustrates you, you're likely going to have to figure out ways to work together. And you clearly have. Um, yes. And I, I think that it actively, it, it, it will support those nonprofits more than it will hurt you. Yeah. Um, yeah. They, they need experts. They need people who can put down the boost and actually get work done. And a lot of nonprofits have the talent and support and drive to get that done. Something that sometimes the city government may lack for whatever reason that may be. Right. Right. Exactly. Right. All right. Well, tell me about what it's like being a board member. What's different now that you're serving Generation Nation as a board member versus a participant, if you will, when you were a high school student? I think I've just realized how much work was going on behind the scenes. <laughs> um, yeah. For me, it was more of, hey, I'm at a meeting. I'm speaking with such and such. And we're just kind of keeping moving from there. Even when I was at Generation Nation serving as president, we did a lot of um, activist work, especially when it came to school safety and uh, some of the protests that came up in 2016 and 17. But even then, there was so much work going on behind the scenes that I, as a high school student, had no idea. And I think that now, kind of looking back, um, actively trying to budget things is right. not is is uh, very new for me, especially working with such such large. Um, budgets. And I just think that it's, it's been a very welcoming experience for me as I try to acclimate and accommodate to everything that I see going around. Well, and let's give a shout out. Amy Farrell is a wonderful executive director that you and I mm -hmm. both know and like. Um, yeah. What does your executive director need from you as a board member? It, it sounds like you've gotten more into the budget side, but is there anything else now that you are even more aware as a board member that Amy and other executive directors need? It was very shocking um, with, with, on the first meeting where I referred to Miss Amy as, um, as ma'am. And she looked, she sent me a message on the side. It was like, Righteous, you're technically my boss. You don't have to respond to me <laughs> the way that you do. And I just, and it threw me off because Miss Amy has always been uh, a mentor for me from, for throughout these high school years, was the lady, was the woman who wrote my um, recommendation to get into UNC and I owe her so much more right, than what she right. knows. So to sit, to hear that was just shocking. Um, and I think that what she really asked for us is, um, especially for me as as a as the youngest person on the board and as a black man, um, to actively give my opinions on the things that we're trying to accomplish. And I think that uh, it's just been very. I don't even know if I have a word to describe how how great it feels to just. Yes be able to help on such a level and to see the, the work that we're putting in actually, um, you know, come together. And I, I think that, you know, Miss Amy has been crucial in every part of my life here in Charlotte. So I, I thank her for that. Well, very nice tribute that is deserving. And again, it's exciting for me to think about the experience, the great experience you're giving, of course, and also the contributions you're making now as a board member. And it makes me think, Righteous, about organizations that perhaps wouldn't even consider 
someone of your age, yet you have a lot to offer. And, and so I've just, I hope nonprofit leaders out there listening, it's like, hey, don't dismiss the 20 somethings, right? Because, and I'm, I'm guessing, righteous, you, you are comfortable sharing your voice. Is that fair? It's not like just because you're the young guy on the board, you're just sitting back quietly. Oh, oh no. I think they chose me because I talk a lot <laughs> and I talk very <laughs> loudly. And um, I, I try to, I try to make sure that my opinion is being heard. And nice. even when the moments when I'm not speaking, they are very actively asking me what my opinion on the topic is. Nice. And, I, and I've loved that since joining that has been very active in how they're trying to push me forward. And I would just love to just continue doing so. But, a, but, but yes, um, they, I, I try to make my voice as active as possible. Yeah. How many, and this is a rhetorical question for our listeners. How many of you have a board that is just uh, not really diverse in any sense of the word? And are you hearing the voices of multiple generations and multiple perspectives and all that? And so again, you're a great example of bringing a different voice to the table that I don't think a lot of nonprofits, frankly, are hearing. And so that's what's impressive. Mm -hmm. um, let's shift gears to another organization that I know has been significant in your development, and that's Profound Gentlemen. Tell us first, what is Profound Gentlemen? Uh, yes, sir. So Profound Gentlemen was an is an organization, um, a national organization that effectively uh, brings and improves the retention rates of black male teachers. So at the time when I worked there, black male teachers made up about 2% of the teacher workforce. Wow. And there was, you'll notice that a lot of teachers without support leave and profound gentlemen uh, actively supports those men, supports those men as they try to um, navigate being a teacher in a, in a world where there aren't a lot of black male teachers. And they they subscribe to the to the idea that you cannot be what you cannot see, and yes, yes. their their goal is something that has stuck with me um, going forward in life, and just trying to bring that kind of mentorship to students. Have you pondered education yourself? Of course, you'd be a fantastic teacher, but or maybe that wasn't necessarily the reason you got involved. Um, it wasn't necessarily the reason I got involved, but I do see the value in education. I think. Right. Um, up at, by my senior year of high school, I had mentored over 300 students, a majority of those students being when I worked for the nonprofit um, Profound Gentlemen, where I was just giving students information about how to become nonprofiteers and what it what it's like to start your own nonprofit. And that was a thing that we worked on while there. And I think that um, it's, it's just been so helpful. And and everyone there, Mr. Mario Joven Shaw, as well as Jason Terrell. Um, who gave me the opportunity to work there have been instrumental to my life and they still are. What'd you learn from them? Uh, you've mentioned in a previous conversation, but I wonder if you'd share, are there a few headlines that you took away from that great experience? Oh, yes. Um, so Mr. Terrell, and we spoke about this earlier, is the most organized man I know. Uh, <laughs> he, and he, he, not only does he write everything down, um, but he takes the most detailed notes and Excel spreadsheets that I've ever seen. I was recently in a conversation with him to try to figure out a new venture that I was working on. And he sent me a, a, a about 15, uh, 30 questions um, wow. that were all just kind of like organized, color coded. And it was 
the most elaborate thing that I've ever seen in, in terms of the incubation period of a nonprofit or a B, um, a B school, a, another um, venture. And I think that learning from them just how to maneuver through these different conversations, especially with them being black men and me myself trying to organize and understand what it's like to be a black man in these spaces because there aren't that many. Um, and I think that, that they've just been instruments of everything. They have just allowed me so many different opportunities when it comes to mentoring, when it comes to running different, um, or when it comes to running different events and just, just actively pushing those around you to, to take a stand to, to you know, participate. And I think they've really encouraged me and inspired me to just continue doing so. Yeah, love that. And I'm, of course, going to lift up these organizations. I hope listeners are wondering, like, if they haven't heard of Generation Nation or Profound Gentlemen, they're going to figure out more because we're going to lift them up and the great work of Mario and, and Jason and starting that organization. And obviously, we want it to succeed going further. Um, it leads to a question, Righteous, you and I've talked about, if I'm a nonprofit leader, um, and I, now I believe you that there, there are people like you in every community that want to get involved, young people, young leaders. Uh, how do we do a better job of getting someone like you to get involved with our nonprofit? Well, there are a couple things that you have to take into account, um, especially when we're talking about some younger folk who are quite honestly very, very, very tired of yes. um, yeah. unpaid internships. It is not something that we can actively participate in um, for a lot of students who have uh, a dedication and want to serve and want to help and want to you know, push these businesses forward. It is not something that we not everyone can afford to participate in. And you'll notice that there is a trend of when it comes to people who are able to access and get these internships, especially throughout high school, who want to pursue their different passions, that there is a trend where some of those racial boundaries and demographics kind of trend towards those who are more affluent, uh, while some who are not and the marginalized students may not have those same opportunities because they have may have to provide um, in a way that other students don't have to. Such a good point. I'm going to underline it because you're right. It's not something I had considered until recent years that uh, often these internships that nonprofits provide are easier for the more privileged, affluent high school kid, right? Or maybe mm -hmm. even college kid. And so I guess you are reinforcing the point that if nonprofits want that diverse voice and talent, we got to be willing to pay for internships because it will pay off. And, and I guess you're a fantastic example of that. Absolutely. I think even with my nonprofit at Profound Gentlemen, it started out as a summer internship. And then with the dedication that I showed, they wanted to give me an opportunity to work for them. And I did for another year. And there are, you know, and there may be nonprofits who can say that they don't have the funds to afford to hire a new student and, and don't want to go throughout that process. But there are organizations and initiatives set by your government that are allowing you to do so and that at will be at no cost to you. I know in Charlotte, I worked through the Mayor's Youth Employment Program in my sophomore year of high school. And that is, a, that is an initiative started by the city government that pays um, students to intern for other organizations. And nonprofit work, nonprofiteers should actively seek those kind of initiatives that are started by their government if, if they are there. 
Uh, it's a great opportunity that costs nothing on you. And you get to meet a lot of the people who would be actively involved in your organization if they had the time and availability to do so. Yeah, fantastic advice. And I hope, again, while you and I are talking about a Charlotte uh, initiative or through the mayor's uh, youth employment program, I bet there are programs similar to that all over the country, if not all over the world. And so your point is a good one. Organizations or nonprofit leaders just simply need to do their homework. Absolutely. There are so many opportunities available and there are so many students who are ready to to just work um, and they want to work and they want to pursue their passion. And once you get these students and yes, you'll notice that students who are working jobs that they don't care for may not be the most um, alighted to be there. But if you have these students who are passionate about what they want to do and they're passionate about the, the goals that your nonprofit has, they're out there. You just have to pursue them and you have to be where they are. And you have to, if you want minority students, marginalized students to give their opinion, which if you're running a business, if you're running a nonprofit, you should, yep. you have to pursue them. You have to get out there and ask those students. You have to go to cities and you have to go to these cities. You have to go to these schools that may not be on the side that you're most familiar with. They may not be on the side of the city that you're most familiar with. I know in Charlotte, we live in a very segregated school district. Right. And I, li- I went to a school on the west side of Charlotte, which is a high is in district two, which is the largest district that we have, but it's also heavy minorities district. And not as many opportunities are given to those schools as they are as schools on the south side of Charlotte, and which is a more affluent part of um, our district. Right. So I think that if you want students to give experience, give their opinions, and you want to you know, foster these people who are passionate about their goals. If you give someone, if you give these students an opportunity to work for you, they will. You just have to go and seek it. You just have to go and 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 look for it. And it may not be exactly what you're looking for, but they're going to give you the opinion that you need to have for your business, for your organization, if you want it to succeed. Again, fantastic advice. Nonprofit leaders are the voices you're hearing only from certain parts of your community. And what are you doing to kind of work across some of these boundaries that unfortunately exist, I think, in every city, not just Charlotte, of course, right, just as you and I are discussing, but every city. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm hopeful that our listeners will ponder ways they can kind of break down that barrier for sure. Um, I want to know personally, uh, you're remarkably accomplished as a 20-year-old. In fact, you told me you're taking a public speaking course. What, I, what else are you one. doing? <laughs> you did. I, I, I took that, and we're done with that class. <laughs> we're done with Sounds that like one. you're glad to be done, but Absolutely. clearly, I don't know that you even needed it. Uh, you're, a you're speech a very... every week? Not for me. <laughs> well, you're a gifted communicator, and uh, that's going to help you. As you ponder your nonprofit leadership career going forward, are there other things you're working on? You know, I'm guessing you're someone that sets goals, is constantly getting better. So I guess in the kind of personal development category, what are you working on to help yourself get even better? Yes, sir. So I started pursuing a a, a new venture for myself. Uh, it's a new foundation that I'm starting called the We Are More Foundation. Um, and we launched a $2,000 scholarship for HBCU students. Um, 
and it, not HBCU students, but high schoolers applying to HBCUs sure, in North sure. Carolina. And um, that has been a goal of mine over this um, past semester to just get that running. And we recently selected our winner for that scholarship. And we're just kind of moving forward now and just kind of keep going forward. And I also plan on being a, playing a more active role in consulting as well as my role as a board member for Generation Nation and other organizations. That's fantastic. And it's an unfair question, but I'm going to ask you anyway. I mean, do you, do you know what you want to do after college? I'm sure you're sick of that question, probably, as, ever, as I, I know my kids as college <laughs> students are tired of me asking. But how do you respond I, when people say, what are you going to do you know, when you graduate? A, I, yes, sir. I have a few different ideas of what I want to do. That being said, nothing is final. It can literally <laughs> It is college and you just got to let it ride. You just have to let things lie. I think right now my goal is just to get experience in the field that I like, um, to just be a play an active role and to support. I also am trying to be more active on campus because I realized last year that um, all of the work and all of the accomplishments that I had given had nothing to do with my school. So right. I'm playing a more active role um, here on campus, but I definitely think that um, things are going to be Things are going to get more active for me as soon as I graduate. Well, um, uh, I can assure you I'm going to be one following your journey, which I know is going to be successful in whatever direction you take it. I'm also certain whether you work in a nonprofit you know, world at some point, I'm sure you'll continue to volunteer and serve as a board member. And I guess interacting with so many good nonprofit leaders as you have is there any other final advice you might offer, right, just for someone thinking about, hey, I'd like to get into nonprofit leadership, or maybe I'd like to get more people like you involved in my organization? I think that one thing that I know, I know we spoke on earlier is um, when it comes to starting your organization, um, if there are people here who are listening who just have an idea and don't know where to start, you have to, the first step, I would say, is to just write it down and keep pushing. You have you have your idea, you have everything set up, but you have to take that first step. You have to try. Um, and for me, I know that a problem that I had was I get a lot of ideas very quickly. I dream of a lot of ideas very quickly, but for a long time, I never had that that drive to actually start. It was just, I had a lot of good ideas, but a good idea that doesn't get used is a good idea that's going to waste. Right. And you have to start. I don't know who needs to hear it. It may be one person, it may be a thousand, I don't know, but you have to start somewhere. If not, you won't accomplish anything and that dream will go to waste. And you don't want someone else to see your idea and hear of your idea, get that idea and start it themselves. So if you have it, go for it. And another thing that, you know, we spoke on earlier today is that if you have done, do your research ahead of time and make sure that your purpose is that you want to help in whichever field that you're trying to go in. And if you see that there are other organizations that are pursuing what you're trying to do, lend into them first and see how you can help. Um, there's already a lot of competition for donor dollars, um, and it's more important that you're actively you know, accomplishing the goal that you want to set and that you're helping those who you're trying to help rather than starting your own organization. And sometimes it's more important um, and easier for you if you just lend to those organizations and see how you can support them. Fantastic. Once again, Righteous, like everything else you've shared, is uh, thought-provoking and 
Wonderful words of wisdom for our listeners, and I'm grateful for your time and conversation for many of these reasons. Uh, if I can ask one more parting gift from you, uh, I, I bet there are more than one examples, but could you share a book recommendation maybe that's been meaningful to you? Absolutely, sir. So I spent, uh, I'm going to let you know ahead of time, I spent a semester um, reading nothing but books that had n- that were just very unhelpful. <laughs> Things like, uh, and, and and I know this 500 page book by heart, A Theory of Justice by John Rawls. I don't recommend reading that. It was a, <laughs> it was a horrible experience. Um, it was a lot of philosophy and I just can't do it. So I think that I, I went downstairs and I found my book, uh, Make Your Bed by Admiral William H. McRaven, the U.S. Navy retired oh, um, veteran. It. Very simple book. Um, it, you probably already know about it, but for me, it was it was a gift and it has helped me tremendously just with the basic organization of my day. Um, just trying to find different ways to solve problems. I highly recommend it. Make Your Bed, The Little Things that You Can Do to Change Your Life and Maybe the World by Admiral William H. McRaven, if I had to suggest anything. Oh, that's a fantastic one. Um, I've, I've heard of it. I've not had it recommended in the hundred or so episodes of this podcast. So I'm delighted you have lifted it up and we will indeed put it in the show notes of your episode, right? Just for sure. Um, if people want to find out more about you, um, where might they go? Absolutely. So if you go on social media, any social media app, Thankfully to my mom, I have a very unique name. Uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> just type in Righteous Kit. Um, that's Kit, K-I-T-T, on uh, any social media page. Or if you want to learn more about me, um, I was recently featured in Men's Health Top 20 Rows of 2020. And you just type in Righteous Kit, Men's Health, um, and you'll find any organization that have um, done a bit more article, articles on me. There uh. you go. It's fantastic. I'm delighted to lift all that up and I hope our listeners will get to know you better. And as you're such a good advocate for find other righteous kits in your community because they're out there and they can help you. And so righteous, thank you again for joining me on the path. Absolutely, sir. Thank you for having me. Well, I hope you enjoyed this conversation with righteous as much as I did and came away with some inspiration and practical ideas that can guide your professional journey and maybe enhance your organization's strategy around how you are identifying, engaging young professional talent like him. Don't forget about the show notes. They are on our website, patentmcdowell.com, and you can find out more about Righteous, these organizations he's part of, and how you can connect with him directly and learn more from his remarkable experiences. As always, thanks for sharing this episode with someone else on the nonprofit leadership path. And if you haven't already, please subscribe. Just go to the podcast page at PattonMcDowell.com and you can be part of our community and not miss any of our weekly episodes. They come out every Thursday, as well as bonus features we're producing at least once a month. Thanks again for all you're doing in the nonprofit sector, especially right now. And keep up the good work for causes that are most meaningful to you. I'll keep bringing you content that can help you do it even better. Have a great week, and I'll see you next time on The Path.